Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. I had a question about options. For example, say I had an option and it was in the money, and by the expiry date, it's still in the money. What if I never do anything with it? I don't sell it. I don't personally execute. I don't even log into my account. And provides unbiased answers. It will automatically execute. How your broker deals with it, if, for example, you don't have the capital, uh, they're probably going to ask you to sell it. Invest Talk. Over 31 million downloads and counting. I just had a question about AMD, advanced micro devices. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Investors and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, April twenty eighth, twenty twenty one edition of Invest Talk. I appreciate you all tuning in for this hour, and I'm gonna do my best to make this uh, informative and instructive for you through my mission statement, which, as always, is independent thinking and shared success. So, we we are not Kramer. Uh, I, I'm not here uh, to tout everything that you'll see on Fast Money or CNBC. Uh, because I really have no axe to grind. Uh, I'm here to help you along in your success, bring you along in our success, and share in the abundance of logical common sense investing. And when I go through different explanations on this show, I'm here to utilize my 20 years of investment experience and the data that I have in front of me. And that means that I'm here to present all this without bias and give you the facts and try to impart some some wisdom uh, that I've built throughout my uh, couple decades here. And one of the big ones, and I think that's lost in, in this market today, uh, that maybe I don't speak about enough, is one of my favorite sayings. And it's, I believe it was Warren Buffett, but it's price is what you pay, value is what you get. And many people in this market focus far too much on the prices. What's the stock trading at? What has it done in the last month, the last few months, or the last year? And it's all about kind of chasing performance. And this is natural human emotion, chasing that price appreciation. But history tells you that in the long run, the price will converge with the value. And what do I mean by value? Well, value is what you get out of that particular asset that you own. Not necessarily investment, but asset that you own. For example, the price of your home. The price may fluctuate up and down, depending on the market dynamics. 
But you living in that home, does the value you get out of that home change? Are you still living in it with you and your family in the same way last month as you probably are this month? Does the change of the price of that home have any bearing on the actual value you are getting out of that home? Now, there are things that certainly can change about the value you're getting out of that home. For example, what if there's a restaurant nearby uh, that opens that you love, and suddenly you have one extra choice of a great place to go eat, and your proximity to that restaurant has, is added value to you? That can be a way that value is added. Maybe you add on another room or an office or a swimming pool and the value you're getting out of that particular property because of those additional features is now higher. That is a way that that asset can add value. Maybe you switch jobs to somewhere closer to where you live and you're getting better pay, better benefits, better work environment. And now you're even, uh, your commute's even shorter. That's a way. Think about the pandemic. People working from home. This is why people are willing to pay more for a bigger home, for uh, more amenities, because they're spending more time, because they need to extract more value out of that home. Because they're in it all day. So these are different ways to think about the value that you get. Now you apply that to other assets like stocks. Cash flow is typically one of them. One of the main values you're getting out of it. But also currencies. Cryptocurrencies are a good example. I'll get to that a little bit later. But when you think about cryptocurrencies, understand what is the end value you're getting out of them. Now let's head over to Hawaii. I was just here there a couple of weeks ago and talk with Leo looking at Jeffries. Hi, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking the call and for all the helpful information on the podcast. I want okay. I wanted to get your opinion on Jeffries Financial Group, ticker JEF. Um, the valuation looks pretty solid and it looks like the earnings have been consistent, but I wanted to run it by you to get your, your, uh, your thoughts. Okay, so this is Jefferies, and this is one of the smaller investment banks out. They're still an $8 billion company, but it's mainly a, 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 uh, an investment bank. They do have uh, commercial banking, asset management. They have, uh, it's fairly well diverse. They have foreign exchange trading, things like that. Um, yields about 2.6%. It looks like, did they just up their dividend? If I'm... Looking at this correctly, so yeah, they upped it uh, back uh, earlier this year to twenty cents a quarter. So current yields about two point four percent. Looking forward, revenues up dramatically. Um, if you look at the longer term performance of their uh, profitability, their business, it, it's pretty strong. Uh, return on equity somewhere in the neighborhood of thirteen percent, trailing twelve months. Now that is kind of at a cyclical high. The last time it was that high was back in 2012 and it was at 13%. Uh, 
their financial leverage is, is fairly high. Uh, that's one of my big issues here is that it, its profitability has been relatively low throughout its history. Its leverage has been relatively high uh, and is, is near the highest it's ever been. And it's still, with that leverage, is just bumping up against the historical top uh, profitability level. So the, the historical profitability is all over the place, and that's just kind of the nature of their business. Um, they are smaller, and, and they're dealing with kind of, a, say, riskier um, types of transactions and, and uh, financial, uh, financial services. Whereas you know the Bank of America is the Goldman Sachs of the world, they're getting kind of the bigger deals. They they tend to be more trusted. Um, now, technically, it looks very strong. You can't argue with that. Uh, but it, it's just not my favorite in the space because of that. Because of that relatively low profitability historically, and right now you'd be buying it at where it's close to the high. Uh, and there's nothing more consistent than reversion to the mean in the in the markets. And this is the type of name that will probably revert to the mean uh, in profitability. In fact, next year, earnings are supposed to go from 4.34 this year to $2.92 next year, down 33%. So that would worry me a bit. So uh, just not a fan of it. Technically, it's looking weaker as well. Uh, definitely lower on the list uh, in the financial services business. So I'm passing on Jeffries. Thanks for the call. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had the S&P down about three and a half points. It was Fed Day. And Jerome Powell came out and basically didn't really say a whole lot. Certainly upgraded the assessment of the current economic environment because of fiscal stimulus and reopening and vaccine rollout, etc. And but but didn't say we're gonna taper. Uh, said inflation is transitory, which not is not a shock here. And didn't hint at any tapering, which we kind of, which shouldn't be a shock. I don't think that was kind of the headline. Oh, the Fed's not going to taper. I don't know who would have thought they're going to taper. If you understand the fiscal situation, you know that if anything, the Fed's going to go the other way. They're going to up their QE. They're going to, their next move is not to taper. Their next move is to do some level of yield curve control. And so they're in the middle of that, and they're kind of on pause. The markets rallied initially during the press conference. It sold off for a bit, and then we got a little bit of rally uh, going into the last half hour, and then we sold off, uh, began into the close, and closed near the lows of the day. Now, we had some uh, mixed earnings uh, on Wall Street after the bell. Apple had really, really good earnings, really blowout earnings, and uh, but wasn't up a ton. I mean, it was up nicely after hours, but nothing uh, dramatic, uh, like 5% or so. So that was pretty interesting to me that the, it was such a modest rally in that sense. Um, but there was a, a lot of uh, news. I think, uh, who was it? Facebook had earnings. Those were positive. I'm just trying to pull up the calendar here. Uh, Boeing had earnings. That was, uh, actually, excuse me, Qualcomm had earnings. That was a blowout. Uh, Teladoc, eBay had, uh, I think, a disappointing earnings. Ford had disappointing earnings on a lack of chip supply. that They're going to shut down some of their, their production. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the market reacts tomorrow. I'm expecting a down day. Um, and I think 
the month of May is when we're going to start to get more chop here in the market. Now, you're listening to Invest Talk, and your goal of venture freedom will require the right information, the actionable information, and effective strategies that will help you achieve your end goal, which is your own particular version of financial freedom, and that's why we are here. And your participation is vital to this show, so we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Look at the calendar. We're already moving through the second quarter. The market has been interesting, and serious investors need to bring their best game. Invest Talk is here to help. The phone lines are open. 888-99 chart. Let's go talk with Robert. He's in Maryland and he wants to talk about Apple. Hi Justin, thanks for taking my call. Sure, of course. Yeah, so I own Apple. Um, I, I saw they did some pretty good earnings today. Uh-huh. Um, I also saw that buyback, um, the ninety billion buyback. Uh-huh. Uh, just kind of wondering if I should, you know, use this as an opportunity to to sell, uh, or if I should just continue to hold a little bit longer. I mean, because I know in general they're pretty overvalued, but like mm. I don't know, do these recent earnings kind of get them closer to being accurately valued, or do you think there's more room to grow? Well, sure, absolutely. You have blowout earnings that were much better than expected. What's really interesting to me is that after hours, it's only up about 3%, and this is a blowout earnings. So when you have really good news uh, in our, on an earnings report or just any type of news, and the stock only goes up modestly, uh, the, to me that's a bit of a warning sign near term. Um, but still, I think Apple is a fantastic company. Uh, we've owned it for clients for a long period of time, and you know, we sometimes we we cut it back a bit. Uh, we're actually we have done that uh, in the the recent past, and we're looking for an opportunity uh, at better prices to bring that that allocation up because I think at the right price, somewhere closer to the hundred dollar level, then that is the time where we would be more excited. Now it's a market cap right now is two point two trillion, and. Their their buybacks they've they've been buying back shares uh, consistently and, and we like that I think that's uh, at the right price a good use of capital uh, especially with a company with such a large amount of cash flow trailing twelve months eighty billion dollars in free cash flow so that's still about a four percent free cash flow yield and that's not including this recent quarter uh, which for a business as consistent and strong with such a strong balance sheet and franchise as Apple uh, that's still a fairly uh, that's a decent yield but somewhere around the five or six percent would be more exciting for us um, so here we, we look at it as uh, about valued um, this might up our, uh, our our valuation a bit um, but at these prices, it's not bargain basement. It's not super expensive either. But uh, to me, your question would be more of what's your allocation long term? Do you want it three, five, six percent of your portfolio? Um, and on dips, I'd be trying to up that if it's uh, you know below that five percent level. So, um, and you might get one, uh, especially later this year. Thanks for the call, Robert. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein for investors. The need to remain vigilant never ends, and that's why I'm here taking your calls live at 888 chart Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. 
It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Now, my focus point today concerns this question. Can you avoid making the 19 common mistakes that trigger IRS audits? I will go over some of the key points in this story in, uh, in a minute. Uh, or should I do that right now? Okay, actually, I'll do that right now. Uh, so I can't go off over all 19. That would take a bit of time. But we all know, or hopefully you know, that the deadline has been pushed back from April 15th, which we're past that, to May 17th. That's the new deadline for filing your taxes. And around 300,000 filings each year are audited by the IRS. And double-checking your filing and avoiding simple mistakes can help you not land on that dreaded audit list. 73% of all taxes in 2019 were filed electronically, and 89% of all individual returns were filed electronically. So that's a good way to avoid many of the common mistakes, such as unsigned forms, incorrect calculations, misspellings, etc., uh, so here are a few. Failing to double check routing and account numbers. A lot of people do this for trying to get returns, uh, trying to get money in to your bank account or being pulled out of your accounts uh, upon filing. That's a, a big one. Another is sending your return to the wrong IRS office. There are multiple IRS offices, but you have to double check that you're sending it to the right one. Another is failing, failure to attach your 1099-R form. What this is, is the form that reports the withdrawals from any retirement accounts, pensions, uh, annuities, IRAs, etc. And so if you don't file this and you took money out, then that's a clear red flag that you're, remember, the government is getting this information. If you pull money out of your IRA from your brokerage account, there, your brokerage firm is reporting that, and you need to report it as well. And there, if those records don't match up, that's going to be a big red flag. Okay, so failure to report these payments or withdrawals can result in an audit. Failure to sign and date the return. This is especially big when you're filing jointly. Both of you have to sign and date the return. Unsigned uh, returns are going to be sent back for signing. Failure to claim the correct deductions, such as if you're over the age of 65 or blind, there are specific deductions. And you must use a specific chart on the, the 1040 or 1040A forms to determine the right ones. So if you claim these deductions, uh, you misuse these deductions, you list the wrong amounts, things like that, that can trigger an audit. Uh, this is a big one. Failure to enclose negative numbers in brackets. That's how you show that this is a negative number if you're putting if you're filling it out and it will be misrepresented by the IRS as a positive number if you don't have it in those brackets okay number 6 is tax deductions such as charitable donations uh are not reported correctly uh, so miscalculations could result in you overpaying the IRS if you don't report those right. 
failure, here are the top four. Number, number one is their tax return is ineligible. You send it in, you do it by hand. This clearly can be solved by you doing it digitally, but sending that in physically and it not being able to be read, that's a big one. Choosing incorrect filing status. There are five different filing statuses. Single, married filing jointly, married filing separately, head of household, and qualified widow or widower with dependent child or children. Those are all the... You have to make sure that you are filing correctly based on uh, your situation. Number three is failure to correct, or sorry, failure to correctly declare exemptions. So, like your dependents, your your child. If you're Jimmy John and your daughter's name is Betty John, you can't just put Betty John. You have to show that this is the this is your daughter. This is somebody who is a dependent, uh, and it is clear to the IRS. And then the fourth most common is failure to correctly list all dependents, such as uh, making sure that the uh, the oh, I'm sorry, that's the dependent one. The exemption one has more to do um, with spousal support and things like that. So uh, there, there's a link to this article on investtalk.com. You can read them all. They're pretty interesting because you can easily see how a lot of people make these common mistakes uh, be, when you're doing it themselves. Uh, that's why I always say a good CPA, if you have a bit of a complex uh, um, situation, a good CPA oftentimes will save you a lot more in headache and money uh, for the modest fee that they charge. On the next Invest Talk, this story. After marriage, couples in nine states share responsibility for previous debt. In states with community property laws, including California, Nevada, and Texas, both parties, sorry, both partners equally share the responsibility for the repayment of previous debts. So I'll cover that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is all about above average investing for the average investor. And the question is, during a market downturn, do dividends stay fairly steady? Um, I wanted to see if you thought that that was a safer place to park the money for long term. My question has to do with insuring residential rental properties. Just kind of wondering if this stock is a value trap. What's your question? You're the best person to ask it. 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value.
so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. It's been another Investor Wednesday, and we've all seen the market move up, down, and all around. It's called volatility, and you'll have investment and finance questions for Steve and Justin. They welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk with Mark. He's in Cincinnati. He wants to talk about Alibaba. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Doing well. You own it or looking to buy it? Maybe short it? Uh, yes, I own it. It's about 5% of my portfolio. And mm-hmm. my question was, um, how concerned are you guys or felt at all about just the Chinese government? And long term, is that something I should be worried about? Or is that just kind of a bump in the road as of now? Well, we are short Alibaba. So uh, we don't think that the expected growth rate uh, of $10.89 next year in earnings up from $5.71 in 2019 uh, is going to be realized. Uh, And on top of that, we think there are a lot of accounting issues that if uh, the U.S. government ever puts the screws on a lot of these uh, Chinese names on their accounting practices, that uh, Alibaba is one of the names that will be kind of uncovered to be not necessarily entirely a fraud, but a lot of their business just simply um, made up. Uh, the big question is, will the U.S. government have some sort of chutzpah, shall we say, to actually come to the table and probably and do the right thing? 
Um, either way, we think it's overvalued. And so, um, uh, and, and there are some, some signs, like you said, from the, from the Chinese government that uh, they're becoming less favorable towards uh, Alibaba. So I would definitely be looking to trim your position. Now, technically, it's looking weak. It remains below its 100 and 200-day moving average. Now, I will say, if it can get back above the 200, that would trigger me to cover my short. Um, that's at about 260 right now. Right, uh, the price of the stock is at 236 and change at the close today. Um, so that's our assessment. Uh, it's it's overvalued, and the uh, current price momentum is poor, and we think it will be headed lower. Thanks for the call. Let's go talk with Tim. He's in Washington State. He's looking at WSG, which is let's see. I don't see that symbol. What can I help you with, Tim? Uh, yeah, I um kind of been um, uh, thinking about this commodity super cycle theme that I hear uh, Steve talking a lot about. And uh, anyway, I've uh, been buying some gold, copper stocks, and uh, been thinking about adding um, a timber stock to my portfolio. And I was looking at, I've already bought some, but um, West Fraser Timber Company, uh-huh. uh, WFG, and mm-hmm. you know, as far as the research I, I've been able to do, it looks pretty good, but I uh, haven't been able to go in depth, so I thought I'd see what you thought about the WFG. Yeah, I do think we are in the start of a commodity super cycle because of the fact that governments are working to reshape uh, our world. Uh, the last commodity super cycle or you know, big boom in commodity prices was the early 2000s, and that was really driven by China and the insatiable demand for the commodities to build their infrastructure and build up the manufacturing base that now is, frankly, the best in the world and uh, supplies goods to the rest of the world. And the big question is, will the U.S. and other countries around the world continue to allow uh, manufacturing to be exported to China uh, and allow them to use their economic might to kind of do what they want. And I think uh, today's wars are not really fought with guns and ammo. They're fought more economically. And and so I do think that the demand to reshape our world, the demand for pre- uh, commodities will be high in order to reshape our world. So uh, I agree with you in that sense. Now, the question is, after this recent run in the price of lumber, uh, where in 2019, West Fraser, which is what you're talking about, WFG, they lost 30 cents in 2019. This year, they're supposed to make $19.28. This is what I talked about yesterday, is the fact that governments are suppressing the supply of existing properties coming on market because of mortgage and rent moratorium and potentially creating a large imbalance in the housing or is creating a large imbalance in the housing market towards new supply coming on board for new homes. Right, not existing homes, and that is pushing the price of lumber because uh, these home builders are doing well. They can raise prices, they can keep their margins, and they'll just pay more and more for the lumber. Although, you know, even though it's expensive, so as long as governments, I think, are preventing new supply of existing homes to come onto the market to balance out the market, you're going to see just a flood of these new homes from these builders coming on market, and they'll pay whatever price they need to for that lumber. Uh, And so this is really all about that 
that policy decision. Once that policy decision is taken off, you have the potential for uh, people to be kicked out of their homes because they're not paying their rent or their mortgage, then that will shift. Um, but it, it really comes down to that policy, in my mind. Uh, and you, that's your call, one way or the other. If you think they're going to continue to artificially suppress that supply, then I think lumber prices will go up and WFG will do fine. And you're listening to Invest Talk, and as many of you notice, we have a good deal of questions that come in 24-7 on anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. So let's grab one right now. Hi, Steve or Justin. I just had a question about AMD, Advanced Micro Devices. It's trading around $81 a share for a current price-to-earnings ratio of 63 times. It made $1.30 earnings per share in 2020, and analysts expected to make $1.97 EPS in 2021, up 53% for a forward PE of 41 times. Its average PE since 2018 has been around 100. It recently agreed to acquire Xilinx acquisition with all stock. Is this a good or a bad thing? The transaction is expected to be immediately accretive earnings per share. And second question, is the market significantly underestimating AMD's forward earnings guidance? And if they guide well above $2 earnings per share in this next earnings announcement, will the stock break above $100? Just wondering. Thanks for all you do. Well, the first thing in your analysis there, you broke down a lot of good numbers. As you said, the average price or average PE over the, uh, since 2018 is 100. Well, that's 2018. It's, you're talking two and a half years? <laughs> it's nothing. Um, that's not enough time frame to really be judging uh, what a company should be trading at multiple-wise. Now, AMD historically is all over the map when it comes to profitability. 2015, 16, they lost money those years. This year, they're supposed to make $1.95, like you said, $2.51 expected next year, uh, but trading at high forward multiples. Now, they bought Xilinx with, with stock that's dilutive to shareholders, and whether that's good or bad, it's about $35 billion in stock. That's about a third of their market cap at a $100 billion market cap. I, I haven't looked into that deal specifically, um, but in this environment, historically, they probably paid up for it. Um, technically, this chart is now breaking down. It broke below its 200-day moving average in March and has a bit of a bounce here, but all these moving averages are now converging. Technically, this is not looking hot. Um, so I don't like the space. I think it's kind of uh, overhyped with the, the chip shortage. And AMD, while I think they've converged a bit on their... Um, their technology with Intel, meaning they've caught up, and I think they're in Intel's class when it comes to their, their processors. I still think Intel has the, the edge there. It's still better. Uh, now, I think Apple, their, their M1 processor, and the things they're doing internally are, are better than both. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's kind of a separate uh, issue. Um, but I think AMD technically... It is poor. Fundamentally, it's relatively poor at these valuations, even if the growth is decent. Um, and I don't think technologically they've, they've surpassed Intel. And a lot of people think they have. I don't think they have. I think they've, they're kind of in the same class, but in a bit lower tier there. So um, I'm not owning Intel, or, or sorry, AMD. I think it's a poor, a poor hold at these prices. Now let's keep moving and make it four invest talk caller questions in a row. This one came in earlier from Oakland, California. Hi, this is Zach from Oakland. 
Yeah, I was just wondering what you think of stock symbol CTT and whether they're going to have a specifically positive or negative earnings call on May 6th and just what you think of the overall stock. Thanks. All right, this is Catchmark Timber Trust. So this is an interesting one. It's a real estate investment trust. It's a REIT. And it acquires, operates, manages, and disposes of Timberland properties. So clearly their business has been doing well, just like uh, that caller from before. And this all comes down to, once again, are governments going to suppress the supply of existing homes coming on market? And as long as they do that, they're going to do well. And prices of timber are going to stay relatively robust. We're ahead of ourselves, uh, I think, in the near term on this, uh, uh, this space. But the issue here from a long-term perspective is that will correct itself. We know that governments eventually will raise the, uh, get rid of the mortgage and rent moratoriums. And historically, this company, CTT, Catchmark Timber Trust, has poor profitability, negative. It even supposed to lose money now <laughs> in this type of environment. And that worries me a great, great deal. They've been issuing a lot of shares throughout the years. 2012, they had 3 million shares outstanding. Now they have 49 million shares outstanding. Their free cash flow is positive, so a lot of that negative earnings is uh, probably has more to do with depreciation and things like that because their cash flow is still relatively positive. Uh, but I'm just not a huge fan. Uh, to be honest uh, with you. I think there, there are other ways. I think the previous company is probably a better play if you're trying to uh, own timber. And in this environment, it's not about the cash flow, that, that dividend yield, the 5% on CTT. It's more about the price appreciation. And you're going to get better price appreciation from uh, the stock we talked about earlier, which was WFG. That would be a better play in my mind. Thanks for the call. Well, 2021 is well underway, and I appreciate all of you powering through this year and last year. You know, it's been a tough year plus uh, in the economy, in the world, and I want to, I want to help you. That's what I'm here to do, uh, and I can help you on air, but I also can help you off air as well. So if you want to reach out to myself or Steve through our company, KPP Financial where we practice parallel investing. We invest right alongside our clients. I encourage you to do so. You can call our Irvine, California offices at 800-557-5461. Or if you want to do a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or, or go to meetings, just send us a message through investtalk.com. No obligation. Love to talk. Love to help you in any way. Now, next up, we will pivot to Florida for a fresh caller question. Our phone lines are open now at 888 chart Hang on. We will play the question next. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. This free podcast is available for download anytime. Typically, each day and night, the Invest Talk call center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. The first segment of the Rapid Fire Hour is hosted by Justin Klein, and Steve Peasley handles the second half. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now 
at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Vince from Orlando. Had a question about options. For example, say I had an option and it was in the money, and by the expiry date, it's still in the money. What if I never do anything with it? I don't sell it. I don't personally execute. I don't even log into my account. What will happen to the option? Will it execute on its own? Will it sell on its own once it's in the money approaching the expiry date? And also, what if I don't have the capital in my account to execute the option? Uh, Appreciate the show. Appreciate all the knowledge. Thanks, guys. It will automatically execute. Well, how your broker deals with it, if, for example, you don't have the capital, uh, they're probably going to ask you to sell it um, uh, You know, the next day, saying, hey, you don't have that much cash in your account, you're on margin. These are, these are things that you're, you're, depends on your broker and how they're, they're going to deal with it. You, if it's in the money, you probably just want to sell it. You're probably going to get marginally more, uh, you know, if you if you sell it, uh, sell the option outright before expiration, and then you have to worry about it. I don't know why you would, unless you're, for example, we have a cover call strategy, and there are times when sell a call, stock goes in the money, and we get to expiration, and we have two we have two choices. We can either roll it out to the next month. For example, most of our current positions have options that are written for May expiration. We're close to May. They may be in the money. What do we do with it? Do we want to roll it out? We can roll it out and up, for example, into a higher strike. We can just roll it out the same strike. You can roll it out and down to a lower strike. Or let's say... You know, it's rallied enough. We don't think it's uh, based on the economic backdrop, based on uh, the the company performance. Whatever the reasons are, we don't want to hold that anymore. We we will just hold it maybe through expiration and allow it to be called away from us. That happens as well. Um, But it sounds like you're more talking about naked options where you're either um, long or short uh, a particular option. And... Once again, they will be executed. It's a matter up to your broker how they're going to handle that with you. Will you get in trouble being on margin? Depends on your broker. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hey guys, my name's Jason. I'm from Illinois. Uh, just stumbled upon your show not too long ago. Really enjoying it and appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work. My question for you is this. I am currently an employee of UPS and have been participating in the discount employee stock program. What I am doing is selling all of my eligible shares because UPS is currently 70% of my non-401k portfolio. 
what I'm looking to do with this is diversify, obviously, into more of a midterm investment, maybe the next five to ten years, something I can kind of play with a little bit. I should invest that now or kind of stay on the sidelines with some of this recent uncertainty with capital gains taxes and maybe a correction coming. Any advice about what to do and maybe where to put it for a kind of amateur investor would be greatly appreciated. Look forward to your response. Thanks. Well, first off, it's very smart that you're realizing that 70% of your investable assets in one company is just simply far too much, and you're trying to diversify that. Now, how you diversify is, is, is a complex question. Uh, a lot goes into that. These are things that uh, I do on our portfolio review assessments. We go over current holdings, longer-term goals, whether that is, and, and maybe short-term goals. You know, do you want to buy a house soon, sending kids to college, things like that? Those can often be very short-term goals. And then there's often uh, long-term goals of retirement and, uh, and long-term care, et cetera. So those are all factors you have to consider and then allocating towards those particular goals. And in light of your particular risk tolerance and the type of time you want to put into this. If you don't want to put a lot of time, then you're probably going to create a broad, diversified set of funds, probably a mix of ETFs and probably mutual funds as well, because I do think there is a place for that. And uh, But if you want to do it yourself, then and you're, this is something that is exciting to you, interesting to you, you have the data, the, the discipline, the capabilities to do it yourself, then maybe you can buy individual stocks, maybe mix that with some ETFs, uh, have different strategies like a covered call strategy potentially, mix in some bonds, individual bonds. So these are all ways that you can diversify out of, of UPS. And once again, great that you are thinking about this. This is a seen this too many times where somebody's net worth is tied up into one company's future. And it's even worse when it's the company you work for. Because let's say there's some major fraud like an Enron WorldCom, and I'm definitely not saying that's happening at UPS, but uh, it can happen anywhere. Not only could you potentially lose your job, but you can lose your retirement and savings as well, all in one fail swoop. And so your income, your financial life is tied directly to one company. So that's good that you're thinking uh, about diversifying. Um, so then this goes to, you know, one example is Qualcomm. We had a lot of clients back in early 2000s, late 90s that worked for Qualcomm that were millionaires. Uh, if you look at Qualcomm's stock price, it was skyrocketing back then. And it was one of the darlings of the dot-com age. And we have secretaries that were coming in worth millions of dollars. And their millions turned into hundreds of thousands, a couple hundred thousand, after the, the, the bust. When Qualcomm went from uh, $100 all the way down to $20 a share. And so this is another example of what... I talk about with clients is when you have enough, if you have a lot of money, do you need to take that risk? 
What's the point? Okay, if you've reached that level of, uh, of financial freedom, and maybe you're just working because you want to stay active and busy and you love what you do, etc. Even if you're willing to take that extra risk, you want to pull that back a bit. Just for safety purposes. Okay, but good question, and I hope that answer helped. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Get your free downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And you can browse topics on our website. If you want to learn more about, say, 401ks, cryptocurrency, treasury yields, real estate investing, growth stocks, and so on, you can read the episode titles, find the topic that interests you, and maybe even share that with a friend or family that you think might appreciate and find it interesting. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.